Luke 15, verses 5 and 6 is actually Jesus' commentary on the one who left the 99. You know, a parable is a story told by Jesus where he uses elements within the culture to teach spiritual or theological truths. And the best way to understand what he's saying, what he means by what he says, is to, if you're able to do this, open the lens of your interpretive grid from the text all the way to the first part of Genesis and the last part of the book of Revelation. Allow scripture to inform the, the parable. So I'm saying here, the one left the 99 and, now, and finds the one sheep that was lost. And now here's Jesus' commentary on the one who left the 99. Now, um, let me read this again. Here's Jesus' commentary on the one who left the 99. Or you could say it this way, on the one who left the 99. I think it's the one who left the 99. The commentary, the words of five and six, focus on the one that left the 99. And you can see it just by reading it. And if I actually read it, you might hear it. Luke 15, five and six. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. You see, I accentuated he, my, and I. And it's all over that two verses, isn't it? So verses five and six tells us about the one who left the 99 and followed him. So first of all, at 5a, it says, it says, and when he has found it, so he finds his lost sheep. The one who left the 99 finds his lost sheep. Now, if we want to go to the cultural side of this, we could say sheep, when they get lost, get disoriented, they get scared, they're unable to think straight. They get weak, they get feeble, they cannot help themselves. Okay, and everybody that would hear or have heard that in the first century would have immediately known that. But notice this. When the shepherd finds this sheep, excuse me, yes. In this story, the shepherd does not find him, the one sheep, then herd him back to the wilderness with the other 99, right? He doesn't. The lost sheep surely is a metaphor for lost men and women. Here's Isaiah 53, 6, helping us understand this. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Bad news, all of us are like sheep. We have all gone astray, all gone away from the Lord, but... In the midst of us being lost sinners, God has caused the iniquity of us all. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, is actually grounded in these prophetic words by Isaiah in Isaiah 53. He has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Huh. Who do you think him is there in Isaiah 53? It's not me, it's not you, and it's not Israel, corporate Israel. It is the servant of the Lord. It's ultimately Jesus. 
So the lost sheep is certainly uh, symbolic of lost elect, sin- unbelieving, lost elect unbelieving sinners all over the place. Now here is John Gill again, and I'll ride on his coattails. So Christ finds his sheep in a most desolate condition. You ever thought about this? Okay, he leaves the 99 in the wilderness. Does he go to find the lost sheep in a paradise? Or just in another place, in another sphere, within the wilderness? If, if the lost sheep is supposed to be in a dangerous place, I don't think we should paint, paint it as a paradise. It's still wilderness. It's still dangerous. It's just in opposition to the other shepherds that should have been going out there and helping. So here's what he says. Feist, Feist crying. Christ finds his sheep in a most desolate condition, in a pit, in the mire and clay of nature, in the paw of the roaring lion, Satan. Helpless, hopeless, wretched, miserable, and naked. He's describing lost sheep, lost sinners, unbelieving elect sinners, the state in which they are found by Christ. And not only starving, famishing, and dying, but even dead in trespasses and sins. And finding them with respect to redemption, designs his procuring eternal salvation for them, and with regard to vocation, his laying hold upon them by his spirit and grace, and bringing them to a sense of themselves and to the knowledge of himself. Remember, I think it was him I quoted earlier, somebody, I could have said this, I don't think I did. If I did, I borrowed it from somebody else. You would not have come to Christ unless Christ went out to you, got you first, right? Kind of saying the same thing here. And bringing them to a sense of themselves. You wouldn't have come to a sober conclusion and assessment of yourself. You can't do self... Examination and draw proper conclusions about yourself without help. We're so blind, so lost, so dead in our trespasses and sins, we can't do self-assessment and conclude as God concludes unless God helps us. That's what he says here. And bringing them to a sense of themselves, we have to be brought to a sense of ourselves. We don't come to a sense of ourselves. And to the knowledge of himself. Most Christians would say, yeah, I, I need be, to be brought to a knowledge of Christ, who he is in himself. But he's saying both. If you're going to be brought to a proper sense of yourself, you have to be led there by divine grace and power. And if you're going to come to a proper assessment of Christ's identity and vocation, person and work, who he is and what he has done, you need the grace of Christ for that as well. And this parable symbolizes that that lost sinner out there must have come to their senses by grace and identified, come to their senses in terms of who Christ was as well, because that's how we're saved. It's a a work of God. It's not our work. It's not that, well, I'm smarter than another, or I'm just 
I got more natural religious instinct in me than most people, and that's why I'm a Christian. If you think that way, stop. You're a Christian because God saved you. Grace came. You got invaded. Somehow, some way, somebody brought truth to you, and they brought it to other people as well that never tasted that the Lord was good, but you tasted that the Lord was good. You came to a, to a state of self-sanity, a sane assessment of self, and you said, I got big problems that are insurmountable. I need help. You, you came to that by grace. You came to the knowledge of Christ. However faint and, and uh, barely orthodox it might have been, if you're anything like me, and you think back, okay, I'm thinking back to the Richard of 1984 when I repented and believed the gospel. As soon as I did, I said, I was able to articulate the hypostatic union, the doctrine of the Trinity, inseparable operations, the doctrine of uh, Trinitarian appropriations. Just like you, when you got saved, you knew what all those things meant, right? No. But when somebody slowly but surely started teaching you those things, all those things I have without those words, by the way, um, By grace, seeing it in the scriptures, the spirit breathes upon the word and brings the truth to light. You know how that is, right? You were really saved back then, but you were a pygmy. So, so was I. You were a midget. Some of you are saying, so are you, meaning me. I've been this tall since 1973. I got over it a long time ago. You need to get over it. We, we all started someplace, right? But the root of the matter, if it was really in us, it was all by grace, a, sel- a, a, a sense of self and a sense of Christ are by grace, bringing them to a sense of themselves, bringing them to the knowledge of himself, finding them dead in sin, He speaks life into them. There's that lost one. And the picture is God, the Son, or by virtue of the work of the Son's work, the Spirit of Christ is going to bring the benefits of Christ to that elect one who isn't yet existentially in Christ, decreed to be in Christ, but he's going to get mystically united to the Savior. That's old language. It's in the hymnal, by the way. And how does that happen? How does he go from a sheep wandering around thinking all's all, all okay, or actually maybe even being slightly miserable, but not knowing, not knowing the, what the remedy is? Grace. Grace comes. Grace opens eyes. Grace gives you sense of yourself and of Christ and of his grace and his mercy. Not perfect knowledge, but saving knowledge. Not comprehensive knowledge. Okay. Let's, let's think about comprehensive knowledge. Do we comprehend some things but not others? We comprehend of God in himself nothing. We apprehend some things. We're finite. He's infinite. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite, cannot contain everything there is to know about God, about anything about God. So how did that lost sheep apprehend why didn't the lost sheep kick and scream when it's over the Savior's sh- shoulders and try to 
over the shepherd's shoulder and try to maybe find a dagger, a knife, and, and put it in his back because he came to his senses. We're going to see that in the sun in the third part of the parable. But when he came to his own, when he came to or something like that, that's grace there too. Finding them dead in sin, he speaks life into them. Now watch this. He takes them out of the hands of Satan. See the roaring lion over there? He's got his hands on that lost sheep. And what happens? The stronger one steals the plunder from the devil. That's in Jesus' teaching elsewhere, by the way. He washes them from their filthiness, John 13, and heals all their diseases, language from the Old Testament. He feeds and refreshes them. He covers them with his robe of righteousness. See it happening to that one lost sheep? If that's you, when you got saved, just think back. You didn't know all that was happening, but it was. And now you read parables and the rest of the Bible, and you're going, oh my, I thought I just believed in Jesus. I got the robes of the righteous Son of God draped over me. I got the entitlement as son or daughter of God way back when I, in my feeble state of hardly any knowledge at all, said, yeah, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And I had him as the object of my faith. I got cleansed, washed from all that my filthiness. I was healed of all my deadly terminal diseases. I started to be fed and I started to be refreshed by him. He covered me with his robe of righteousness. He began to beautify me and adorn me. Here's what uh, Gil says. He beautifies and adores them and brings them home in the manner after described. This is Gil saying, that's what happened out there when the one went after the one and left the 99. When the Son of God saves an elect unbelieving sinner, all that transpires. Now look what happens. He lays it on his shoulders. He lays it on his shoulders. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Do you think that has anything to do with this text? I think it has a lot to do with this text, and next week I'll tell you why. But now we will stop at that. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for its depth. Thank you how it stretches our minds and forces us to really try to make those connections that are uh, at first obscure and not clear at all. But slowly but surely, over time, we start to see more, th more of your truth. All of us know the experience of reading Luke 15 and thinking we get the gist of it and then reading it again or having it preached in our hearing and uh, you know, have those aha moments where we go, oh, I see now what I did not see before. We want to see all that you have for us here. We thank you 
For this parable, for the sign that it's, uh, the thing that is signified by it, namely the Savior of sinners coming and saving uh, sinners like us. Now help us to rejoice in singing and the supper together we ask in Jesus' name, amen.